Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, crypto traders around the world. Another day, another update, and boy, do I have an update for you. This is going to be partially news, I believe, worthy, and partially informational. Some follow-on from yesterday. I will have an underdog. It's not really a token. I mean, it is, but it's bigger than a token. So I'm going to save that for the tail end because there's a lot to digest with that one. But at the front of this, I felt it was important to cover this that I just read. It was released a few hours ago, and it's convinced me. And listen, if any of them listen to the podcast, I want the smoke. If you want to come on and contradict my belief, I'm listening, and I will listen and hear what you got to say because I don't see it presented that this is an individual's opinion or commentary. And I want to cover what was said in this article, and it was released on coinmarketcap.com. And let me just say up at the front, the fact that I'm seeing this article written this way convinces me that coin market cap may have very well been infiltrated by some people in the Federal Reserve, the very same people who are trying to lock crypto down. I know that's controversial and possibly tenfold in how it sounds, but let me talk about the article and I will quote directly from it. And I'll at this dude if I can find him on social media, because I would love to hear a response, open response as to why this is a good thing. So the, uh, you know, I've talked about how the House of Representatives and the Committee for Financial Services, and they've been meeting with the crypto executives and talking about regulatory and how to kind of manage crypto. And I've said, I, I can see a picture where these people who are older people who don't understand and probably very wealthy people who hold bags of crypto want to turn crypto into basically a copy of what the stock market's doing with excessive halting, where there's volatility and you can only trade during bankers hours and all this nonsense that essentially only benefit. And then they lock down on the stock market side, penny stocks, OTCs, as they're called, unless you have certain documentation that nobody wants to do. So I can envision a world where they want to do the same thing to crypto. So think about your t- tokens like Satama when it started, Shiv when it started, Floki when it started, Kishu when it started, Shiv Doze now, Dozilla now, and some of these ones that are lower, they would be completely banned. You wouldn't be able to trade those. You can only trade bankers hours, which essentially is 6 a.m. to 3-ish p.m., or actually 1 p.m.-ish. Um, on the Eastern time zone and all this nonsense that doesn't really do anything except make the rich more rich. That's what I think they want to do to crypto is just copy that same framework and say, it's the same thing. Let's take a copy and put it over there. Here's the article. And they're talking about, uh, it took five hours. You got FTX, uh, FTX. I talked about on Reddit. There's some people didn't know you can actually do options trading with crypto. And there are a couple of orgs that do it. One used to be called Ledger X. FTX is the firm that bought Ledger X, so you can do options trading, and they're one of the, you can think of them as kind of the, not Robin Hood, but like a Charles Schwab-ish type for cryptocurrency. It's my, that's how I see them. Uh, Circle, Coinbase, and Circle, Coinbase, they are aligned by way of the USDC stablecoin. So the USDC stablecoin, as I understand it, was created by Circle, and then Coinbase, it's kind of like they're predominant. Coinbase will still do USD Tether, but USDC is the one they kind of put forth up front. Uh, Bitfury, Stellar, which is XLM, and that's uh, it's its own network, and then Paxos. Now, they they apparently invited Tether, but Tether didn't even want to be there. And that's because Tether has been in this controversy around their stable coin, which goes to one of the points I'll get to later. But the main thing that they're talking about is energy, the proof of work, which again, Everybody agrees that proof of work is not the right answer, which is why there's so much work to try to fix it 
It's just it's going to take time because we're already embedded in it. Until we get there, the proof of work that we have now, as we see with Kazakhstan, sustains the crypto industry. We don't like it, but they're working to fix it. It's not like we're doing nothing about it. So here, this House of Representatives is coming from behind, and all they're doing is reacting to the same quote that gets thrown out there, which is Bitcoin is more an Argentina. We know that. Regardless, it's moot to keep revisiting it because you're already aware of it and you're not focusing on the fact that they're trying to move away from it to proof of stake and trying to understand it. However, I think it was about a year ago, they were talking about proof of work and proof of stake and certain exemptions from a reporting perspective. So this goes to people who are needing to report data to the IRS about what's going on. And they basically said at that time, the ones doing proof of work, we would consider exemptions for them, but not proof of stake which doesn't make any sense because it contradicts this one here. The reason that's happening is because you got a left hand and a right hand who are really not talking to each other because when I say left and right, I truly mean left and right. The ones on the left, all they care about is banning cryptocurrency. They'll say they don't, but that's not true. They want to ban crypto. They don't want it here because crypto allows people to be independent, financially independent. And the left does not want that. They want them to be financially dependent on the government. On the right, they recognize the ability for financial independence plus additional wealth for them. So they're going to do everything that they can to support the ones that are generating wealth and increasing wealth for people already there. Just to kind of lay out what's, let's be clear here. So talking about the energy inefficiency, everybody has talked about, well, we're going to work towards carbon neutral. We're going to work towards all these things and we got to research it. we got to keep talking about it. We know we need it, but it's going to take a long time. We're not going to be able to get rid of mining, period. But we're going to work towards solutions that we have been, and they have been, to be fair. If we needed to point a finger at anybody, it really needed to be the Ethereum side because the Ethereum side launched straight away as proof of work, not thinking about the carbon neutrality situation. They didn't care at that front. They were just concerned about creating an alternative for the Bitcoin situation that was going on. And then it created a problem because everybody got on board and then, of course, became less sustainable because of popularity. If those people and that idiot that I keep calling out had thought about it and were really caring about carbon neutrality, it would have been part of the initial scope, but they didn't care. So we should be pointing fingers not at crypto in general, but really one facet of it that's caused our problem. And what we should be doing is we should be supporting and promoting the other networks that are out there that are already proof of stake. The problem is, is that many of them are just straight branches off Ethereum. So at some level, they are still, quote, pegged to the behaviors of Ethereum network. We don't really have very many that are truly independent proof of stake at this point. Many of them have been waiting on ETH2O. It keeps getting delayed. So everybody knows it's a problem. But the squirming about it in, you know, House of Representatives isn't going to solve anything. All we're doing is revisiting the same wheel on a wheel. So then there were concerns about stable coins and stable coins, as I mentioned, are supposed to be one-to-one to the U.S. dollar. The issue, I think, and this came where Tether comes into play, the issue with the one-to-one to U.S. dollar, of course, is that that means it's necessarily tied to inflation, right? Because as you print more money, you are basically tossing more money in there and you are increasing inflation. And the more that you do a one-to-one to the totality of what's in U.S. dollar, you're basically just copying the inflation situation over to the crypto side, which is not helping anybody. Tether is one where they stated that they are one-to-one peg, but they have never proven it. And there's a belief that they're not. There's a belief that they're just kind of working off of 
I don't want to say funny money because that's not fair, but they're basically working off of a concept where, okay, if you have this stable coin, let's say USDC, and it's supposed to be pegged to US dollar, but you have this other one, let's say DAI, and DAI is pegged to a euro. I'm making stuff up, but I'm just saying, if you have different fiats in play and different stable coins in play, in theory, the United States government should have nothing to do with this one that's pegged to the euro, right, or to the yen or some of the currency. So can the U.S. government then regulate the entire stablecoin subset, or can they only regulate their own stablecoins? I think everybody would agree there's probably not an issue with the U.S. government regulating United States dollar stablecoins because they govern the amount of money that's available pegged to those coins. But I don't think anybody would agree that the United States government should have any say. If me as an American choose to buy into a stablecoin that's pegged to the euro, or to the yen, right? Or to pesos even. If I chose to do that, because I chose to do that, what does it matter? Where it gets sticky is that I'm ultimately buying crypto with the equivalent of a fiat US dollar, trying to purchase a stable coin that is equivalent to a fiat whatever other currency. The exchange then should be the one who figures out what that means. And that's fundamentally what rest of crypto is doing. Value of X is pegged, quote-unquote, to value of Y. I think the exchanges should be the ones who govern that differentiator, and I don't think the U.S. government should be in my business as to which ones I choose to buy into. As far as the USDC, sure. The USD Tether, sure. Uh, And any other ones that are specifically saying we are pegged to the United States dollar, sure. And then it's up to me to make sure I'm not tied directly to those assets. Where it gets sticky, I think, is when you have liquidity pools, that use USDC or USDT or so on, because now that means all of those cryptos are then regulated by the United States government in this new world that they're talking about. And I would be adamantly against that. And I'd have to rethink my crypto strategy all the way around. And I don't want to do that, but it's true that the United States dollar is kind of the governing force behind a lot of the cryptos we see. That's why they're concerned about the stable coin because they want to make sure I believe that the stable coin is properly pegged to United States dollar. I'm kind of hesitant on that because I realize the effect that inflation has then on the crypto industry if you keep doing that. And we're seeing that now with Bitcoin. So then in the article, they're saying they're against crypto regulations. I disagree because, and I'll tell you why in a second, but when I read what they're talking about, we're talking about stick it to the man vibe. Well, yes, but here's the problem. The people that were there, I do not think that they represent, see, there's a faulty representation about crypto and crypto traders that everybody, literally 100% of crypto is against, you know, regulatory and against banking, against all this. That's not true because many of them have gone through the hoops necessary in order to be like a Coinbase, for example, to be able to be compliant and operate in those countries and get those customers. If they were against the man, they wouldn't have done that. They would just operate in the shadows where you have Binance.com specifically, where they've refused to do it, but then they just basically said, we're not going to trade United States people because we don't even want to take on that risk. So I don't agree that there's a stick it to the man across all crypto. However, it is true that the predominant reason that people in the United States, and I'm only referring to United States because I don't think it's true in every single country, but in the United States, because of the way that wealth distribution works and because of the fact that the current administration does not want people to be financially independent. This is factual. This is why there's so much push for social services, which is basically a dependence on the government. We know that because they don't want people to be financially independent, 
naturally people are going to seek ways to be financially independent in direct contradict to what they're being pushed to believe where they don't want to be dependent on the system because they know that dependence on the system never ends and they don't want higher taxes and they don't want to have that. And they want the freedom to be able to do that. If that's what they want to do, if they don't want to work for a living, they should not be forced to work for a living, but our country kind of mandates that you work for a living in order to survive unless you were born into wealth. So crypto does position you to, in some ways towards financial independence. Once you can figure out the, the balance and mechanics of it all, and that should always persist. The problem is that that's no different than the stock market, except that the stock market is heavily restricted in the potential for, for wealth, unless you already went in with a large amount of money. That's its flaw. It's not that the stock market isn't there and people could make money off stock. Yes, you could. But they put so many red flag hoops in front of it with the halting and volatility halting and everything else that you can't, you can't win like you could with crypto. In crypto, just depending on how much money you put in it, just dropping one zero off of a low cap deal could instantly 10 times somebody. You're not going to get anywhere close to down the stock because by the time it gets up three tick marks, all of a sudden there's this halt, 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 halt. And the profit that you should be getting, you're not getting. And then you got to wait for it to cool down. By that point, everybody's moved on. And so your price doesn't go where it should go. And you're just watching it in frustration. Situations like AMC and GameStop and all these other ones, the Wall Street bets, as it were, are no longer going to happen. You're never going to see another one like those again. Even with something like a BlackBerry where they tried to salvage it, they still couldn't do it. And BlackBerry ultimately had to quit and give up because there was nothing they could do. Because the stock market is purposely built to where you cannot be financially independent unless you were already coming into it rich. The people on Wall Street bets, by and large, are people that already had a lot amount of money. We're not talking your lower level people with like $20 that want to help get it to $200. And that's not unreasonable to expect that you should be able to 10 times your money. You can do that in crypto very easily. You can't do it as easily on the stock market. However, our government, the current administration, let me clarify, wants things to work like the stock market where you're not able to make significant amounts of money in a short period of time because they want you to be dependent on the system. Because if you're not dependent on the system, then there's no reason to have them. There's no need for them. They know that. So it is true that there are segments of crypto that do have stick it to the man, but it is not true of the entire industry. It's simply a symptom of the way the current types of government that are in place have positioned people to be dependent on the government. And a lot of people don't want to do that. And they don't want to be held hostage to, you know, you got to stick something in your arm to keep your job, or you got to walk over here and be scanned and frisked to do this. And you got to, all these things where you're taking your freedoms away are frustrating people. And so they're moving towards crypto as a response to the frustrations they have. That has nothing to do with not wanting regulations. I think everybody wants it to be a little bit safer. We want people to be protected. We don't want people to lose their money. Like I think it's stupid that when you do a transaction of some kind and it fails, you still lose your gas. Well, that's because the miners need to be paid. The problem is why doesn't it test to make sure that it can or cannot go before it lets you do the transaction. That's a simple example. Things like the FDIC and equivalent to that might work. But what we don't want is something that limits the ability to do what we're doing today. So you should be able to make wealth in a short amount of time. If you find the right project, it doesn't matter how many zeros are on the thing. If you want to take the risk, you are allowed to take the risk. Maybe there's some educational pieces that the government helps fund to support people. And like I said before, I do think that crypto could be used to deal with homelessness, to deal with poverty, to deal with people going hungry and lessen the amount of social services. 
All I said was, I'm less confident that the current government wants that because the current government has been pushing for more social services. More social services means there's no reason for them to support crypto. You understand? So I expect a blowout here in 2022. We're going to have the the primaries, and I expect a blowout, and it shifts over to Republican. And if that happens, then I do think that there will be less chatter about the whole energy and all this garbage about crypto and more conversations about how can we get more people bought into this thing because we do see strong potential for doing it and hopefully a rollback of some of the stupidity that's happened over 2021, which is a bad year for everybody. So then it talked about the impacts and the innovations and cultural barriers. One of my episodes, I talked about the the fact that crypto doesn't really care who you are. It doesn't care what your background is. And there's people probably even listen to this podcast now who live in countries where it's very difficult to generate wealth, right? You might only have a couple bucks. Your minimum wage might be a couple dollars at most. And so any opportunity to invest that money and just at minimum 10 times it, right, is life-changing for you guys. Well, crypto has that opportunity and it doesn't really care what country you're in to do it. That means it doesn't care what race, creed, color, him, nor her. It just allows you the opportunity. And then you just need education. And education is what has been lacking in the crypto industry for many years. We're now seeing tools, Relic Seekers being one, DR token being another one. I just saw one, gentokens.com. That's a great one where they're trying to educate. I'm trying to do my best to do it. Others are trying to do it to help you navigate what there's a lot of data. We all learn every day something completely new that we didn't know. So we try to dumb it down a little bit, simplify it a little bit, get it to the point where you can consume it. Then you just need to make your own choices. And once you get more accustomed to how it works, it could be life-changing for you. That's the beauty of crypto in its current form. However, it does have the risk that you lose money because you could buy into an investment that looks great on the surface, but it ends up being a scam. That happens all the time, which is why I always say, make sure that you are always targeting a diverse portfolio. Don't just YOLO into one project. You should have a minimum 5, 10, 15, 20 different projects that you bought into and then just base how much you invest into those on your level of confidence on each one of them. Don't just go all in on one because if that one tanks, you've lost all of it if it ends up being a rug pull. But if you're diverse, it doesn't matter if one of them rug pulls, you still got money balanced in the rest of them and your basis maintains. That's what we should all strive for. I know it gets tempting because you see one that's going up 500%. And you're like, I'll just toss everything at it. But you got to resist that temptation because it could be a scam. In fact, it has a high probability of said. So they were talking about the fact that it has impacts on this. It has an impact to say, we don't care where you live. We don't care what your race is. We don't care what your gender is. Stocks, to some degree, do care because certain countries lack the access to the financial services necessary to buy into these. Then you talk about credit and all the other garbage that the United States has to deal with that make it hard to get access to these services, certain races are underserved in this regard, and it's harder for them to break that barrier. Crypto doesn't care. This was talked about, and hopefully they listen to say no. In its current form, the freedom of it, including the freedom to get scammed, to be fair, but the freedom of it is what makes it so great. It's what makes it the opportunity we should be supporting and we should be advertising instead of social services, because social services also discriminate against people as well. So then they got into legal. Now, here's the problem that I've got with CoinMarketCap and this dude that wrote this article. He says the entire panel of crypto execs who indirectly represents the industry at large were unanimously supportive of whatever action is taken 
to facilitate consumer protection. I don't like that sentence, and let me tell you why. I'm sure that these people were all about it because they're just bowing down to whatever the United States wants instead of really thinking about what it takes for the world at large and what's in the best interest, which is we should have the freedom to do certain things. Volatility came up, and Bitfury says volatility is basically the same thing as the, as the equities market, aka the stock market. However, in crypto, again, you don't have the halting and all the garbage that's purposely designed to stop volatility. So to me, them saying, yeah, the volatility is the same as those just gives them ammunition to introduce those garbage mechanics that limit your ability to make any money. So then they talked about, okay, we need a new framework. We need to regulate this deal. Everything we're trying to do now doesn't talk about mining and staking and stakeholders, and we don't have specific in the regs. I don't agree. He's right, but I don't agree with going that route because all they're going to do is, yes, they don't understand it, but also there shouldn't be any limits to any of the things he talked about. You shouldn't be limited in whether you mine or not or what you mine. You shouldn't be limited in what you stake or where you stake or how you stake or how you unstake. You shouldn't be limited as a stakeholder. He's talking about limitations on the people doing the work. I'm talking about there shouldn't be any limitations on the framework itself. If you're going to limit, the limit should be on the underlying pieces of how people lose money, period. So when we talk about mining, mining is a proof of work concept today. When you go and mine, you're paying for every single action that takes place. To me, there should be protections against this nonsense where if you lower the gas, which is supposed to be a negotiable thing, that I say, you come back with a quote of $100, I say, I'll pay you 50 bucks. That transaction should still go, and it doesn't. That should be fixed. It's like, no, if they offered you a lower rate, you must take that rate and you must still do the work, figure it out. That may be hard to do because of the way blockchain works, but that's the kind of protection I would love to see, that people are not losing money for stupid reasons. I don't want to see that, okay, American people can't mine because you're going to spike the energy bill by $10. No, that's stupid. And that's the kind of thing that I think that it would do. So this guy here that wrote this article, this is a major step forward by regulators to better understand how the industry works. No, that's a garbage. What it did is you had a bunch of people, a bunch of yes men who went up in there and told them what they wanted to hear. And all that's going to do is result in them copying it over to the stock market, just like the stock market, because that's what they want to do. No, this is a bad, bad, bad outcome. From my read of it, it is not the right course. It's not the way it's supposed to go. What we should be doing is we should be saying the way it should work is the way it works today. However, we are okay with anything that helps people not lose money. And I'm talking about when they knowingly spend it. So I'm talking about when they, the mining, predominantly, the mining is the biggest thing. As far as like the rug pull risk, to me, there's nothing you can really do because that's all built in blockchain. And I don't want to see any regulations around it, believe it or not, because certain things are inherent to rug pull behavior, but it's all at the end of the day, whether you trust those developers and trust is not something you regulate. So I wouldn't want to see any regulatory things around that unless you wanted to say that every single token that spins up has to duly account and register, but then you'd have to create a regulatory agency to manage all that stuff. And then I wouldn't want them to be blocked from doing what they're doing. I'd want them to like, let's say KYC. Maybe you require KYC of every token creator. Sure, I'd be okay with that. But then who manages that? What agency? You know, the United States is not going to manage KYC for Ireland. Do you see what I'm saying? Like there has to be some thought deeper than what we're doing here. And this, the outcome of this to me was very concerning. And I don't think it went the right the right way. 
And I'm hoping lesser ones get involved to kind of derail what these dudes have done because it's clear they're just yes men bowing down to the United States government. And that doesn't serve you guys who are not in the United States at all because you're going to see exchanges just shut down and say, okay, well, screw it. We're just not going to operate because we're not going to comply with this. And so we're just going to shut down completely. And of course, that doesn't do you any good. So I, I think coin market cap's been infiltrated. Call me tinfoil hat if you must. That's cool. But I think it's been infiltrated. I'm going to at them. Hey, if you want to respond, I want the smoke because I want to hear more about why you think this is a good thing for them to lock stuff down when you're just basically describing that these guys are saying, yeah, we should just make it like the stock market. That's basically what they're saying. Come at me. If, why, if that's not what it was, come at me and convince me why it wasn't that. Maybe you left stuff out of the article. I don't know, but let's talk about it. Now let's get into our coins today and then I'll get into our underdog situation. It's not an underdog situation, but it is a lesser known situation you may not have been aware of, but I think you should. But first, let's talk about our various token stuff. If you remember yesterday, I said I was going to completely avoid all things Cytomask because it didn't seem like the thing was going to work and I was pretty confident it wasn't going to work because I figured it, would take, it was going to take them a while to get whatever it is fixed and I was correct as I checked. Today, it still doesn't work. Same issue, network connection issue. There are some people who say that it may be specific to Android. That wouldn't surprise me and it also seems what's coming to surface now is it may be what I speculated early on which was that a couple of things are in play. One, whatever with the network issue may not be bot related. It may simply be the way that they're doing connectivity. But also, there are some people who say they try to launch it and it just force closes itself. And on Android, when something force closes, usually it means that it crashed, but also they didn't trap it in the code. So when you trap it in the code, you're supposed to show a message to the user saying, here's my problem so that you know how to fix it. They didn't write the trap. And so the app just closes and doesn't know what to do. There's no way you can easily get to the logs when this happens. Android, after it happens a couple times, will say, hey, do you want to report this to the developer? And then you can access the log files. This doesn't happen to me, but my theory, and some other people agree, is that they did not, when I initially talked about Cytomask, I said that managing all the different versions of the OS would be a problem. In the new versions, newer versions of Android, they've increased the amount of reliance on certain parts of the software. To where when you write an application, it only will work on newer versions of the software unless you build compatibility for older versions. So the current theory is that people who have not upgraded their operating system may be the ones where it's forced closing. The thing is, certain Android devices won't let you upgrade past a certain point, so you're forced to buy a brand new phone. This was a whole big chaotic thing with LG, who got out of the phone business eventually, with Samsung even, and some of the other ones. And so my theory is this may be two part one, whatever this network is might be related to the way they wrote the code, but two, this whole forest close issue might simply be people that are not able to upgrade the phone without buying a new one. And they didn't code it to be compatible with older operating systems, which most developers might choose to do. Now, if they had written it web first, but with a mobile friendly interface, they wouldn't have had the issue because everything renders web. That again, goes back to my case of that's why you don't go mobile first because there's too much to think about. And I know they didn't test every single one of them. Some people say that iPhones and iPads and iDevices are not affected. I don't have one to confirm or deny, but that's the current working theory that's out there. So if you have an Apple device and you were able to get in, kudos for you. But if you, this seems like I'm just reporting what I'm hearing, that it may be Android specific and may not be solved in the short term. As of right now, it still does not work. And the price is reflected accordingly in the dissatisfaction of people. 
Some people talk about selling trillions of dollars because they don't believe in the team because it's the second time they announced a thing and did not deliver. So that's Atama. On the ship side, the entire ecosystem is taking a crap, and I have to express it that way because that's ex explicitly what it is. The price for SHIB is at a low point. It's kind of wavering, like sometimes it'll come up, but then it goes right back down. There was an article, and it was on some weird site that I had never seen before, but there was an article, and it was saying that as of right now, in terms of profitability, that SHIB has breached the lowest level of the, re the resistance to the point where, from anybody who's currently holding, there's no way to get profitability back unless if it significantly spikes, which, as I've said, is unlikely to happen because we're, we're past the point unless it gets rid of the supply. I don't know that this is 100% true. I, don't, I can't speak for this. What I am seeing, according to the price movement I see, is I don't know, I don't know what's causing this specific drop because it seemed to come out of nowhere, uh, just literally out of nowhere, and there's no specific reason for it it just seems to happen so they were saying roughly a little bit over half of people are not in profit so they're underwater in the red uh, they're holding at a loss very few are breaking even there are some people who are in the positive but those people are likely going to be kind of your whale ones possibly and even then and then depends on when they bought in right because if you bought in at a later point basis point than earlier you might be a little bit more in profit than people who bought in earlier and have been holding for the longest period of time. And so nobody really knows what's going on with Shiv in the ecosystem. I will tell you that Bone, part of the ecosystem, is at an all-time low. It's getting very close to its initial launch price, which is shocking to me, given to the governance token. So Shiv is not having it any better. And then everything across the board is kind of red. However, the Ethereum token itself seems to be coming a little bit back up. People are saying you should be buying dips on Bitcoin because they're very bullish about that one. But I think a lot of this may come as sentiment from that whole Congress deal. I don't, I, I can't think of a reason why not. Let me talk about my little underdog situation so I can wrap up. It won't take too long, but there was a lot to it. If you haven't heard of PulseX, PulseX, there's going to be a new fork from Ethereum, and it's going to be called PulseChain. And this, the problem it tries to solve is with gas fees with Ethereum. Everybody knows about it. ETH Toe was supposed to solve it. ETH token keeps getting delayed. And so, as I said, people are going to be tempted to start building solutions around it. This is one of those responses. But here's unique about Pulse Chain. What they're going to do is literally copy the current Ethereum its entirety. So every contract, every smart contract, every token, NFTs, they're going to take a snapshot of that as a point, and they're going to duplicate it over to this new chain called Pulse Chain and then go from from scratch. What that means is that anybody who's holding anything on the Ethereum side of things will have a duplicate on this new chain and you don't have to do anything for this. It's going to be there for you because it's coded to your address on that side. So people don't know about this because the way that it was broadcast is a little bit weird. They did a, what they call a sacrifice, which is essentially a donation deal to just support the fact that, Hey, we're going to support this. And that's not a swap. It's not, you're not paying for anything. You're just donating tokens maybe you don't want or you want to donate to them for their work or whatever you're doing. It's just a straight donation. Everybody, regardless of whether you donate, will have this snapshot copy on the pulse chain. But the way this sacrifice and donation was built, the tokens that have been sacrificed, a.k.a. donated, they will help contribute what the supply is going to be on the new side. 
So then anybody that does do a donation, they'll get a token that's part of this chain. This is separate from the, the duplicate, a token from this side of the chain, and then its value will be whatever. So basically it's you're kind of contributing, but you're not buying, if that makes any sense. The two takeaways are number one, you're able to donate to a cause where they're trying to solve a problem, which is the outrageous gas fees and the failure of Ethereum and the idiot, and they're not able to get their stuff done. So they're, you're donating to a cause to help them with their work and get stuff done and supporting a new chain that's designed to solve this. But two, you will have, if you have Ethereum tokens, you will have equivalents on that chain with no action required of you. So at some point, this will be launched and live, and you'll be able to query on this chain on some sort of tool and be able to see your equivalent tokens on that one and be able to transact it on the Pulse chain. And the messaging is that it's lower fees, faster, and designed to be more efficient with no action required of you. It's just part of it. It's not a gift. It's just they want to do this because they want to try to solve the problem of gas. With the idea being that we'll have greater adoption of this over what's happening with Ethereum. And that's why I wanted to kind of duplicate set. So I thought this was interesting and I watched it and I'm seeing the very strong movements and very strong popularity. Apparently the person behind it, he's very high regarded for things he's done in the past. He's behind one tokens called Hex, which I did look at, but I didn't buy into. And Hex is kind of the predominant that's coming from donation side, but it's very interesting seeing what he's done and what they're trying to make happen. And you might be thinking, well, we have like Binance and we have like Phantom and all these other ones. How is it different? The one difference I can call out is that Binance never copied. It copied Ethereum at a point, true, but it didn't copy the, the supply as far as I'm concerned. As far as I know, they didn't copy the supply. And, you know, Polygon certainly didn't. I don't think Polygon copied hardly anything. And Tron may have copied certain types of tokens, but not all of them. Like there was a difference in the approach. This is different because here Pulse is trying to copy everything, including smart contracts including your tokens, including your supply. So you're just going to have things when you go in there. To my knowledge, Binance never did that. I may have missed it, but I'm pretty sure they didn't. So it, it is unique in that regard of just setting up Scratch and basically as a, as a fork copy, similar to the way if you were in the early days of Ethereum, when Ethereum forked over to Ethereum Classic, I believe Ethereum Classic did something similar to this, but Ethereum Classic was never able to get off the ground. It's still there, but it's nowhere near anywhere used like the main Ethereum because it didn't seem to solve the main problem and ultimately it still relies on the Ethereum gas in order to make that thing work. So I'm very intrigued by it. I'm going to be following that one very closely and see what's going on with it. But by and large, industry-wise, we are seeing some red. I would educate personally that this is the time to be buying dips and this is be time to increase your bag and increase your position because I do expect that it's going to be a bullish 2022 Unfortunately, there have been a lot of preventable mistakes on the Satama side. SHIB, I have no idea what the heck's going on with it specifically because I don't see anything fundamentally wrong. Although I will say that, as I mentioned, there was disappointment with Shibarium and the, Bo and the Bone token, but I'm, I'm curious why Bone is crashing as much as it is because it's, it's probably crashing worse than anything else in the ecosystem, although it's the government's token, and I would expect it to be the, the main one. So I'm not sure what's happening there. And then other tokens I've covered, like Para Inu, they've been down a little bit, but they are somewhat recovering, but not strong, super strong recovering. Uh, Antis Inu is about to go on exchange, so it's down, but it's about to be on strong recovery once the exchange kicks up. So it may just be something with Ethereum in general, 
And of course, NFTs, they're still a thing. They're not going away. I would, I would speculate that Binance, because Binance is down, I want to say it's like 20% down. I would speculate that general industry-wide, we are seeing things where people are cashing out. I think that's a big part of it. I do think tax season is playing a little bit part of it, but I'm not sure how big of a part because that would start roughly around April, but people would be starting getting money re- ready uh, relatively early. I know that there there was a situation in Kosovo. I will cover that one tomorrow probably because I want to understand a little bit more about what happened there, but that would have affected Bitcoin specifically. And this is in addition to what happened in Kazakhstan. Then I want to talk about a couple things that happened with Ethereum. And I want to talk about a couple of things that happened on other networks such as uh, Avalanche that may be contributing to what's going on. By and large, most analysts remain bullish on the general industry, specifically Bitcoin, Ethereum, Binance, Cardano. We are generally bullish about the industry and we treat these as dip, these discounts, uh, these dips as discounts because we see there's likely going to be some strong movements. Some point in the year, it's just kind of playing it and navigating the minefield. But that's all I got for you. I'm going to check back in tomorrow. If something happens on this whole nonsense with Cytomask, I will check in an afternoon update. But for now, take care.